What a blessed day it is to be in the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I can't think of any place I'd rather be on a Sunday than, than in the Lord's house. And my preference, of course, is to be right here at Spirit Life Church with all of you fine people. What a joy it is to be able to worship together with you and to study the Word, to allow His presence to just be present in us and around us. So it's good. I'm learning some things about you today. I was being a little stubborn before church because if you didn't have a name tag on, I refused to call you by your name. I had a few people say, you know who I am. I've been attending this church ever since you've been here. True, but we're asking you to name or to wear name tags so that other people can know who you are. And so, therefore, I would not call your name until you are wearing a name tag. And I saw some of you go get your name tag, and I came back to you, and I said, now I will greet you properly. <laughs> so you have a stubborn pastor today. We also have a couple of young people in our church that I noticed that they took their tag off of their shirt, and they affixed that tag on their forehead. They did not know that I would be talking about the mark of the beast today in my sermon. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I'd be careful about that if I were you today. I wouldn't be putting anything on my forehead that didn't belong there. I'm only kidding. It, it's great to be a part of a family that loves one another. We had such a wonderful time last week. I mean, God blessed us with beautiful weather out at the park as we went out just to spend a little time together and uh, enjoy one another and enjoy the food. Man, the food was great, and uh, the dessert was fantastic. We got a few people in this church that have the dessert anointing on them, and, and I love that. I, I truly do. But thank you for coming out. I understand that we've had some that were sick. We got a little bit of that COVID mess going on, but, uh, you know, they haven't been here among us. They've stayed home uh, using some wisdom. And uh, so we've been praying for them, and they are recovering nicely at home. It doesn't seem that COVID is what it was a couple of years ago. Praise the Lord for that. And as Pastor John has mentioned, it's probably one of those things that we'll just have with us the rest of our lives. But thank the Lord, we have good knowledge, and we are able to treat it effectively in these days, and it becomes something about like the flu is. And so we know how to get around in this earth and in addition to that, we know that we serve a divine healer, don't we? By his stripes, we are healed, and we believe that this morning. So again, thank you for being here today. Now, I want to get at it because I have a lot to say, and I've decided that I'm going to cut this message into two parts um, because it's just so much information that I think it would be very difficult for us to do it justice in one service. I mean, I could teach you for an hour this morning or whatever and get it in, uh, but if you're not understanding it, then we haven't really done a whole lot of good. We've just read a lot of Scripture. So today I'm going to talk to you more about who the major players are in the timeline of the tribulation. Next week, we're going to bring it all together and finalize this end-time series. Next week, we're going to talk about the release of the seven seals, the release of the seven trumpets of judgment, 
the release of the bowls, and then we will talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb and the great millennium, and we will talk about those things next week and try to fit in as much as we possibly can. But today, uh, this is one of those messages that it's very difficult to preach because there's not a whole lot of good news here. Although I do believe that we're going to be able to end it up today with a good idea of who's in charge of all of this. But the tribulation is one of those time periods of seven, eight, seven years on this earth that it's going to be worse than anything that we've ever experienced on the face of the earth. But the good news is that those who are blood-bought, those who are redeemed, those who are the children of God will not be here, it is our belief, to experience anything that I'm going to talk to you about today. Nevertheless, it's important for us to know what's going to happen in this seven-year period of time for a couple of reasons. Number one, hopefully this information will cause those who are unbelievers to become believers and to say, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to be here. I'd rather be numbered among the redeemed, and so I intend to give my life to Christ right now in this moment while I have a chance. The other reason is, as uh, we need to be praying for those and our family members uh, in our family units who are unbelievers and ask the Lord to somehow impact them in such a way that they will want to be Christians and that they want to miss this event as well. So the tribulation is something that we really don't want to experience firsthand. But let me give you this piece of information and then we're going to pray. The bottom line is, is that if you are not saved, if you have not chosen to believe in Jesus Christ, asked Him to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart and become a believer in Him, if you've not done that, you will go through the tribulation if you are alive when Jesus Christ raptures the church out, then you will be in the tribulation. And that's the saddest news that I can deliver to you today. But the best news that I can deliver to you today is, is that you can avoid it by simply turning your life over to Jesus Christ. Uh, just let me tell you, before I even get started here, you don't have to wait to the end of the message to give your life to Jesus Christ. You can do it right now in your seat because it doesn't require that you come down front and that you fill out some kind of card. We'd like to know who you are because we'd like to give you some material that you can read and study if you do accept Christ as your Savior. But you don't have to do that. You can just right where you are, you can just say, God, I really believe that Jesus, you are who you said you are. You did all the things that the Scripture says you did. I accept you. I believe you. I want you to forgive me of my sins and write my name in the Lamb's book of life. And He will not cast you away. He will receive everyone who accepts Him. So I just want to start my message with that today so that you'll know you can accept Christ anytime, anywhere, any day of the week. And he will receive you. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, you know, this is one of those subjects that certainly is outside of my comfort zone. Uh, I am not a prophetic scholar. 
I'm just a common, ordinary day pastor, and I, I study like everyone else does, and I get a good idea of what I'm trying to talk about. Today is one of those days where I intend to stick very close to my notes, and I hope that you will help me, and I know that you will, that as I provide the Scripture today, that you will send the Scripture forth, and it will accomplish everything that you send it to do. And I know that's true because it's a promise of your word. You will never send a word out so that it returns to you void, but it will always accomplish everything that you intend for it to do. So let me be comfortable today. Let me speak clearly. Let me speak with knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And I pray for this congregation today that they will listen and that they will hear and receive your words. And may it change their lives forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, hey, are you ready to go in the rapture if it happens today? We talked about the rapture two weeks ago. The rapture is simply the catching away of the body of Christ. It is prophesied in Scripture. Let me remind you that Revelation chapter 3 verse 10 says, Because you kept my command and to endure, I also will keep you from the hour of tribulation which is to come on the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, we are told, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together, and that's where we get the idea of the rapture, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 says, For you yourselves know well, that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. John 14, verses 1, 2, and 3 says, Don't be troubled about any of this. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 57 tells us, Now I say this, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot, say cannot, inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Not all of us are going to die. That's what that means. But we will all be changed. Uh, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. We will all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. All that means is simply this. We are in these decaying mortal bodies and we cannot make it into the afterlife in these bodies. We've got to put them away. We've got to lay them down. And the only two ways that we can do that is, number one, by death. If we die before the rapture takes place, they will lay our body in a grave or they will, they will burn it up and they will you know, take your ashes and, and send them off of a big mountain somewhere or throw you in the river. Don't worry about that because the God we serve is able to get every bit of your body back together when it is needed. But corruption cannot enter there 
mortality cannot enter there. We must put on immortality and incorruptible. Matthew chapter 24 tells us, if you'll remember, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Amen. I like that. He will send out his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his chosen ones from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. And then in verses 37 through 42, he reminds us, As the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ship. And they didn't know until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. There will be two men in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. There will be two women grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. Watch therefore, for you don't know in what hour the Lord comes. Now, I'm going to stop there because we dealt with this quite a bit two weeks ago. But I just wanted to remind you that when the Lord comes for his church, if you are saved, if you are washed in the blood, if your sins have been removed from you, as far as the east is from the west, if your name has been recorded in the Lamb's book of life, we're going to be out of here when what I'm getting ready to tell you about takes place, this thing called the tribulation. So you can breathe easy. Everybody just take a deep breath and blow it out in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you forgot how to breathe. So here's where we start with the tribulation. I told you uh, two weeks ago that when the church is raptured out of here, I'm telling you there will be chaos on this earth like never before. There are going to be planes that fall out of the air. There are going to be cars that drive off the side of the road. There are going to be people that you may be having dinner with that they are, they are children of God, they are Christians, and they're going to just suddenly disappear. All over this globe, the scripture says, the four winds, that's a way of describing everywhere on this earth, the angels of God are going to go and they're going to get the people of God out of here. But it's going to cause great consternation, great chaos among those who remain. The president, if he's not saved, is going to know that something is happening that he has no way that he can fix it. This, this world is going to go crazy in a matter of just a few minutes. So the first thing then that will happen is what is called the Ezekiel 38 war. Now the Ezekiel 38 war is basically ten nations that are going to seize the opportunity in this chaotic environment to destroy Israel. Remember, this is about Israel because Israel is God's chosen nation. And he will protect Israel. If no one else is protected, Israel will be protected because God has chosen them as his nation. 
But in this time, there will be ten nations that will fight against Israel. Now, you're going to read about this in chapter 38 and into verse chapter 39. I'm not going to take time to do that other than to give you two verses. The first one is found in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 4. And it says that they will put hooks in your jaws and bring you out with your whole army. And Ezekiel 38, 18 through 22 says, The armies are destroyed on the mountains of Israel by earthquakes, pestilence, confusion, great hail, and possibly meteor strikes. Now the ten nations that are described in these two chapters are these. There's Rosh, Gog, Magog, Meshach, Tubal, Persia, Cush, Put, Gomer, Sheba, and Tarshish. Now, we've never heard of most of those. Is that not true? So we try to determine who that will be in the present-day world that we live. And they are Russia, Armenia, Azerbaijan, possibly with the Republic of Georgia, Iran will be involved, Ethiopia and Sudan, Algeria and Libya, Syria, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, and Spain. These nations will gather together, they will get their heads together, and they will say, this is the best time that we've ever had to destroy Israel. And they are going to do everything that they can to destroy Israel at the very beginning of this tribulation period. Now, there's some things we need to understand about the Ezekiel 38 war. Number one, it is not initiated by the Antichrist. However, it's very possible that the Antichrist will be revealed in the midst of the Ezekiel 38 war. The armies are destroyed, according to Ezekiel 38, verses 18 and 20, through 22. They are destroyed on the mountains of Israel by earthquakes, pestilence, confusion, great hail, and meteor strikes. In other words, God is sending the message that you can do your best against Israel, but they still have my protection, and the earth will listen to my voice, and I will keep them protected. In fact, we're told in Ezekiel chapter 39 and verse 9, after this war ends and Israel is still intact, it says that the defeat of those ten nations was so great that afterwards Israel is able to gather and burn the spoils of the enemy for seven years. Can you imagine that? Israel's just going to stand back and let God do their bidding. Israel just going to believe that the God who has chosen them is going to take care of them, and he in fact does. And then for the next seven years, Israel just has the spoils of the war that was won from the very beginning. So it starts with this, this war called the Ezekiel 38 War. Now, in the midst of this, and I've already told you, the Antichrist did not initiate this. But the Antichrist is most likely going to come from one of those ten nations. He's most likely going to be one of the leaders of those ten nations. And he will speak with great persuasion. And he will call these ten nations together. And he will let them know that we need to negotiate with Israel. Now he has other things in plan 
but he wants to negotiate a, a peace pact with them that will allow him to establish him, his kingdom in the right timing. So the Antichrist will likely come to light during that time. Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 18. I'm going to be in a lot of scripture today, so you're just going to have to hang with me and keep your eyes on the screen, if you will, will be the best way for you to do it, and you can see what we're talking about. Verse 1 in Revelation chapter 13, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. On his horns were ten crowns, and on his heads blasphemous names. The beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like those of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. One of his heads looked like it had been wounded fatally. His fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled at the beast. Now let me just stop long enough. Why would God or Jesus heal the beast? He didn't heal the beast. What we're trying to see here is, and what we understand, is that Satan is able to do certain things within his power and authority. Do you remember back when Moses was getting ready to release the children of Israel and deliver them? He worked miracles, but the ones who worked for Pharaoh also did miracles as well. And so that is what we see here. They, they, his fatal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled at the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? And they're about to find out who is able to make war with him. They're getting ready to know. A mouth speaking great things and blasphemy was given to him. Authority to make war for 42 months that's three and a half years, for those of you who, are, who like math, for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth for blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling and those who dwell in heaven. It was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life in the Lamb who has been killed. Let me pause. That's confirmation right there. That you are not going to be forced to worship this beast. You are not going to be put in that position. Why? Because you're not going to be here. If your name was written in the Lamb's book of life, you will not be here. Now, it's true that there may be some who are converted at the beginning of the tribulation. They choose to accept Christ and His Word. They will still have to go through the tribulation, but they will be, be believers if they can maintain throughout the course of the tribulation. So let's read on. If anyone has an ear, let him hear this. If anyone is to go into captivity, he will go into captivity. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, he must be killed. Here is the endurance and the faith of the saints. In other words, only those 
who will have the endurance and the faith to maintain their confession of Christ will be able to survive this terrible and wicked time. Now, Daniel chapter 7, verses uh, 3 through 8, also speaks of this. He says, Four great animals came up from the sea, diverse from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I saw until its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet as a man. And a man's heart was given to it. Behold, another animal. In other words, these are not animals, real animals, but they are people that God is going to appoint to this. Behold, another animal, a second like a bear. And it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I saw, and behold, another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The animal had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in my night visions, and behold, a fourth animal, awesome and powerful and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with its feet. And it was diverse from the animals that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now I considered those horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now what does that mean to us? Well, most scholars believe that these animals that were just listed here symbolize nations that are going to be working against Israel in this time. The, for instance, the leopard, they suggest, could be Germany. The four heads of the leopard could be internally in German a fourth Reich that is established by the leadership of that nation. The bear is not found in Chicago, by the way, you football fans. The bear is considered to be Russia. The lion is to considered to be Great Britain. And the eagle's wings are discovered to be the United States that originated in Great Britain at the very beginning. So we see these things. There are a total of ten nations that are working together. And we're told that the Antichrist now defeats three of those leaders who are leading those ten nations. And he establishes himself as the one who is in control. Now, let's take a breath. We read a lot of scripture, a lot of hard stuff to try to understand. But let's take a breath. All of this initially is setting up what is to come. The Ezekiel Ward was an opportunity for these nations to try to destroy Israel, and God let them know immediately, you will not be able to defeat my people. And he sent the resources that Israel needed to be able to survive the war and actually to take on the spoil of the, of the wars that were committed against them. These ten nations then begin to get themselves together and even fight amongst themselves. And as they begin to fight amongst themselves, then one rose to a place that his, his persuasion 
and his talent and his ability was able to position him to then create a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. So things calmed for just a few moments, for just a little while. And so here's what happens next. After the Antichrist has now been introduced, they start working on the third temple construction. Israel started building the temple back. Now, we know, we don't really know exactly the timing, but we know that the third temple had to be not only uh, started, but completed by the three and a half year mark. Because at three and a half years in is when uh, the abomination of desolation is going to take place. I'll talk to you about that in just a few moments. But they needed to get the temple uh, constructed so that it could be used later on. Now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, this won't be on the screen. But it says, let no one deceive you in any way. It might be on the screen. I've forgotten now if I put it in or not. Let no one deceive you in any way, for it will not be unless the departure comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself all that is called God or all that is worshipped, though that he sits as God in the temple of God, setting himself up as God. So there has to be a temple in place. Revelation 11, verses 1 and 2, says, A reed like a rod was given to me. And someone said, Rise and measure God's temple and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court which is outside of the temple and don't measure it, for it has been given to the nations. Listen, they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. So this temple has to be established by three, year three and a half so that other things can take place. So now, while this is going on, God then introduces someone else into the picture. It is simply called the two witnesses. Now, in the tribulation, there will be two witnesses that are appointed by God who will go throughout the earth and they will speak on behalf of God. Revelation chapter 11, verses 3 through 12 says, I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days while being clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. Let me just say, olive trees in Israel represent life. When you see the olive trees there, you know that life is happening. And then the lampstands represent the light that is given by Christ, by God, by the heavenlies to reveal everything that must be revealed. So these two witnesses will, will represent to the world, don't give up. There's death everywhere, but there is life that God has given us. And there is light, and everything that needs to come to light will come to light. He says, if anyone desires to harm them, these two, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. If anyone desires to harm them, he must be killed in this way. Could you just think about that for a moment? Somebody gets smart with one of these two witnesses and tries to tell them what they're going to do to these two witnesses. And the scripture says these witnesses just open up their mouth. And when they open up their mouth, fire proceeds forth out of their mouth 
and destroys the person who tries to come against these witnesses because God has given them the ability to do that. They have the power to shut up the sky. If you mess with them, they'll just shut the sky up. It may not rain during the days of their prophecy. They have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. Now, sometimes those who translate Scripture says instead of as often as they desire, they will put in here as necessary. And so as things begin to happen, they will have the ability to do these things. Then it goes on and it says, When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. Their dead bodies will be in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. From among the peoples, tribes, and languages, and nations, people will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not allow their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and they will be glad. And they will give gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now let me just pull this all together. These two witnesses are assigned by God to witness on his behalf and to let them know that there is still life coming, olive trees, there is still light coming, and those who were against them uh, begin to try to destroy them. They had no power over them. If they tried, they would open their mouth and destroy them with fire. They were able to shut up the, the skies. They were able to do anything that they needed to do to stop the, the advance of wickedness against them, and they could not destroy them until three and a half years in because that was their assigned period of time. And at that time, at that time, then the beast showed up, defeated them, killed them, and their dead bodies laid in the streets. Now, why would God allow that to happen? Well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, he was finished with their witness. He was finished with them. You said, oh, who were these two witnesses? Well, we really don't know who they are, because it doesn't say who they are. But let me show you, let me reveal to you who we, there are three primary theories on the identity of these two witnesses. The first is, there are those who believe it was Moses and Elijah. Because Moses and Elijah were the two that were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration at the Ascension. So Moses and Elijah were there, and the, so there's some indication that they might be used again in this setting. But we don't know that. Secondly, there are those who believe it could be Elijah and Enoch. <clears throat> and the reason that they say it could be Elijah or Enoch is because neither one of those men died a natural death on this earth. You remember Enoch? He was walking with the Lord, and one day he just decided he wasn't coming home because God just took him on into the heavenlies. He never died a death. And then Elijah, you remember how he left. He, he left in chariots of fire as God lifted him up from this earth and into the heavenlies. 
So is it Enoch? Is it Elijah? We simply don't know. And the scripture does not say, and let me also say to you, it really doesn't matter. Because all we know is that they did what God had anointed them to do, and now their assignment was over, and they were allowed to be killed. You know, I've always in my life, I've never, I've never really been afraid as a messenger of Christ because I believe this. I, I believe that the Bible keeps us protected as long as we are anointed by him. If a snake bites us, we don't have to worry about it because his anointing is upon us. If we drink poison, according to the word of God, we don't have to worry about it because we are under assignment by God himself. And I just want to say to you today, if you're under assignment, God will give you all the resources that you need to witness on his behalf and he will keep you protected until your assignment is over. And when your assignment is over, like these two witnesses, it's not because God's angry with you you but it's because he's finished with you and when he's finished with you he's not going to leave you here to wallow in any kind of defeat but he is going to raise you up and bring you into his presence amen so listen, I don't have many days I have on this earth. I know right now my assignment is to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to this church and the surrounding community. And whenever God decides that he's finished with me and I've done all that I can do, he's going to get me out of here where I'm going to spend eternity with him. So don't worry about it. It's going to be all right. After the two witnesses have finished their assignment, the scripture talks about 144,000 witnesses. Now that will be selected from the tribes of Israel. Revelation chapter 7 verses 1 through 4 says, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, so that no wind could blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. I saw another angel ascend from the sunrise, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Don't harm the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, it was 144,000 sealed out of every tribe of the children of Israel. Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. I saw and behold the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him a number, 144,000, having his name, the name of his Father, written on their foreheads. This is not the mark of the beast. This is the mark of God the Father that has been placed upon them to seal them. Then he said, I heard a sound from heaven like the sound of many waters, like the sound of great thunder. The sound which I heard was like that of harpists playing on their harps. They sing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000, those who had been redeemed out of the earth. Those are those who were not defiled with women, they were, for they are virgins. These are those who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. 
These were redeemed by Jesus from among men, the firstfruits of God, and to the Lamb. In their mouth was found no lie, for they all are blameless. Now, the question always becomes, who are they? We don't know who they are. We just know that God himself is going to appoint 12,000 individuals. Now, the Old Testament scrolls, or the old scrolls, uh, interprets this as men. But there has been recent discovery that some of those scrolls point to, the, uh, point to the fact that there could be women involved in this as well that God selects. So whoever they are, there will be 12,000 from every tribe of Israel. They have the anointing of God upon. It says we know they're going to go to all four winds, all four corners of the globe, and they are going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I read just recently that they're going to be, during this time, we are going to literally make sure that everyone who has never heard the gospel will hear the gospel during this time. There are those who believe that will take place before the rapture takes place. There are others who believe that what we don't get finished while we're here on the face of the earth preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that these two witnesses and 144 witnesses assigned by God are going to complete the job and they're going to get the gospel of Jesus Christ and his saving power throughout the earth. So they will be assigned and anointed by God. Now, the next thing, and we don't know that this is the exact timing, but as God anoints his 144,000, he marks them, remember, with a seal on their forehead. So they're going to have the mark of God, the seal of God upon their life. This is not the mark of the beast. But it is around this time now that the beast, the Antichrist, the one who is rising in power, comes up with the idea that if you're going to worship me and if you're going to take my provision, you're going to have to have a mark on your body, and it is what we know as the mark of the beast. And it will conflict with the mark that is on the 144 witnesses that have been appointed by God himself. There will be a difference. Now, let me just also say, you need to relax a little bit right now. I've heard people say that there is so much right now that could already be the mark of the beast. You go to the grocery I remember when scanners started being showing up at Walmart. How many of you remember that? I knew people in the church that would not scan their groceries because they were afraid that the Antichrist was taking record of who we are and how much money we spend on corn on the cob. We, we know that there are people that, I, I've known people that would not have stents put in their body because they were afraid that they might have some kind of coding involved in them that would allow the Antichrist to know who we are. My dog has been chipped. If he leaves my house without my permission, and gets away from me, whoever finds my dog, please don't scan him because they'll know right where to bring him back to. <laughs> I'm only kidding. When he was a puppy, they put a little chip in his neck, and all he got to do is scan him, and my address comes up, and my phone number comes up, 
Am I afraid that the Antichrist is going to get my address and somehow come knock on my door one night? I am not the least bit afraid because the mark of the beast is not even going to exist until we are sometime in the tribulation. For so some of you just need to relax a little bit. Just take a chill pill. Revelation 13, verses 16 through 18, he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and the slave, to give in marks on their right hands or on their foreheads, and that no one would be able to buy or sell unless he has that mark, the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here's the wisdom of it. He who has understanding, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. 666. Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 through 12 says, Another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a great voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is prepared unmixed in the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name, which is what? 666. And here is the patience of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Listen, this mark of, the, mark of the beast is going to be used by the Antichrist because if you don't take the mark of the beast, if you're in the tribulation, if you don't come to Christ and come out by the rapture, or if you are converted to faith during the tribulation, just because you accept him doesn't mean that you'll make it through. Because if you take the mark of the beast. Can you imagine? How many of you have ever been really hungry? Can I see your hands? I, some of you have never been hungry in your life. That's amazing to me. I mean, there are times when I'm hungry. I cannot continue to lay in bed. I have to get up and go to the kitchen and get a Twinkie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I mean, hunger. Can you imagine being in the tribulation? And you've just accepted Christ. You've not received the mark of the beast. And they say to you, you cannot have any food. You cannot have any resources. You cannot have anything because it's provided now by the Antichrist. And the Antichrist and his minions say to you, the only way that you're able to get any food or any provision at all is to take the mark of the beast on your forehead or on your right hand. And if you do not accept it, you will not be able to get food or anything else. You won't be able to because you have to have the mark of the beast. So what I'm saying to you is, is that 
Man, if you can't live for Jesus now in the power of the Holy Spirit and you think that you're just going to wait until you get into the tribulation and then you'll get saved, let me tell you something. If you can't do it now, it's not likely that you're going to be able to do it very well then. And if you take the mark of the beast, then there's going to be a special wrath poured out on you as well. Revelation 16 verses 10 and 11 says the fifth it's talking about the bowls now that are poured out. We'll talk about this next week. But the fifth bowl, when it is poured out on the throne of the beast in his kingdom, it will be dark, and they gnawed their tongues. Think about that. They gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and the sores on their bodies, and they did not repent of their works. Can you imagine that? Can you picture that? So if you took the mark of the beast, when that fifth bowl comes out of the hands of the Savior, it's going to affect you just like it's going to affect the Antichrist and everyone else. You'll be chewing your tongue, gnawing your tongue. You'll have such pain in your body and on your body that you won't be able to survive. But listen, you won't be able to die either. There will be people wanting to die. We're told that there are even people who will try to take their own lives by suicide. And God will not let them die. Who is the giver and the taker of life? It is God himself. And while he has given us the authority... To do what we do in this life, when you enter into the tribulation, if you go there, God is in total control. There will be people who will try to die just to get out of the suffering and to get out of the pain, and it won't happen because God will not allow them to die. So here we are. We're three and a half years approximately in. What happens? There's two more things that you need to know about. I got... I got 20 minutes till 12. Say, pastor's doing good with his time today. Maybe I won't be long-winded today. But then again, maybe I will. You remember me telling you about the temple being built? Had to be built by a three-and-a-half-year mark? Why is that important? Because at three-and-a-half years into the tribulation, Something significant is going to happen. And it's talked about in other places in Scripture. It's called the abomination of desolation. Now, that's a lot of word. That's a lot, lot of stuff. But let me explain to you about what happens with the abomination of desolation. The Antichrist stands in the newly rebuilt third temple on the Temple Mount and declares himself to be God. The Jews living under any new future Palestinian authority in Judea and the West Bank are in danger more than anyone else. Persecution, we are told, will be worse than it was during the Nazi Holocaust, which is difficult to imagine because millions of people were killed during this time. But during this time, it's going to be much worse. But here's what happens. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you in any way. 
for it will not be unless the departure comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of destruction, he who opposes and exalts himself against all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, setting himself up as God. Who do you think that will be? It'll be the Antichrist. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. He shall make a firm covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the offering to cease. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate, and even to the full end, and that determined shall wrath be poured out on the desolate. Then in the New Testament, Jesus points back to this. Let me tell you just exactly what that means. You talk about politicians that lie. Anybody ever thought politicians lie every now and then? Why do you think they do that? Because they need your vote. They want your vote. So when they're, when they're trying to get your vote, they'll tell you all the things. I get tickled at all of them right now. They're saying, and on the very first day as governor, on the very first day as president, I will do this and I will do that. And here we are all listening to them, and some are saying, praise God, we want to vote for that person because he's going to do that on the very first day. And then there are people like me who sit there and listen to them say it and say, yeah, right. You're going to be just like all the rest of them, trying to buy my vote with what you think. I want to hear from you, but it's never going to happen because you got to get everybody else on board with what your plan is. I don't know if you noticed it in Daniel 9. There's going to be one week in there. The Antichrist is going to walk into the temple. And the place where Jesus Christ is supposed to set and will eventually set is empty. And the Antichrist walks in and he takes his place on the throne, in the temple. And Jesus refers to it as the abomination of desolation. A man has taken the place where Jesus shall reign. And he begins to tell people how it's going to be and how blessed they're going to be and what he's going to do. And for one week, he fills their head full of promises that he never intends to keep. And for one week, he does that. But after one week, Daniel says, he's going to just let you know that what he has told you is going to happen is never going to happen. He's going to make sure that it never happens. And in fact, he's not in the mood to bless you. What he ultimately wants to do is destroy you. That's what the enemy of our soul has always been about. Satan came to kill and to steal and destroy. But thank God Jesus always comes to give life and to give it more abundantly than we can have in any other way. And here it's played out. Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 20. When therefore you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take out things that are in his house. Let him who is in the field not return back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are with child and the nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your flight will not be in the winter nor on the Sabbath. Sounds like a hurricane's coming to Florida, doesn't it? What he's saying is, is in that moment, when the abomination of desolation begins to occur and it takes place, things are going to get exponentially worse than they have ever been in the history of this earth. And in the last three and a half years of the tribulation, things are going to get so terrible that people will want to run for their lives. And that's the warning. And then in Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22, For then there will be great oppression, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. Some of you think I'm exaggerating this morning when I tell you when it's going to get really bad, that it's never been this bad before. It's going to get so bad that this earth will never have seen anything like it. You think I'm exaggerating, but I'm telling you what Jesus had to say about it. For then there will be great oppression. Such has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, nor ever will be. In other words, with those last words, he's saying, it will never be worse than it is going to be for the next three and a half years because of what the enemy did when he sat down on the throne that was reserved for Jesus Christ. Unless those days had, not been, had been shortened, no flesh would have been saved. But for the sake of the chosen ones, those days will be shortened. This stuff all sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? I want you to take your Bibles, and I'm getting ready to close. Say the pastor's closing. Don't ever say, though, that the pastor's quitting because I ain't got no quit in me. I'm going to keep on going until I can't go anymore. But I am getting ready to close. I want you to turn your Bibles, or because I, I didn't put everything on the, on the screen that you need to see, but Revelation chapter 5. Now, let me just preface what I'm about to tell you. We're about three and a half years into this tribulation. Everything's being set up for what is called the Great Tribulation. Now, let me just explain to you that the world we live in right now is referred to in Scripture as Tribulation. Tribulation. The world says, in the world you shall have Tribulation. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. What we go through right now in our difficult days is simply referred to as Tribulation. If you get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and stub your pinky toe on your bed post on the leg, that's tribulation. That hurts like the dickens. It make you want to pray in the Spirit when you do that in the middle of the night. But that is nothing compared to what will come. The first part of the tribulation is simply referred to as the tribulation. It's a time that has been set apart the church will be taken out of here. We will have already been raptured. We will be observing from the heavenlies. But those who are remaining on the earth, they will go through what is called the tribulation. But once you get past the three and a half year mark, 
and the abomination of desolation has taken place and the Antichrist is seating, seated on the throne of the temple once it has been rebuilt, once that happens, then something, something is going to change in the intensity of it all. And it is now referred to as the great tribulation. In other words, that word great can also be translated the terrible tribulation. If you think the first three and a half years were bad, you just wait until the end. Now, we're not going to be here. We're going to be with Jesus. But if you are here, I'm telling you, the last three and a half years are going to get crazy. So let's look what Revelation chapter 5 says. And we're going to read the entire chapter. And then I'm going to be finished this morning. Let me just explain to you that what we're studying over the last three weeks and then again next week is what has been prophesied all throughout Scripture. Jesus is going to have the last word. He is a God of love. He died for you. He loves you. He offers you His salvation. He offers you the ticket out of what I've been talking about today. By His blood, we are saved. We are redeemed. Aren't you glad for that? But not only is He a God of love and Jesus a Savior and a Redeemer, but God is also a God of judgment. And God will judge this world. Listen, next week, you better come with some goggles on or something because I, I don't know what's going to fly in here next week. But we're going to talk about when the seals are broken open and the kind of devastation that will come upon the earth during the Great Tribulation. When the last seal is opened, it's not going to be over because then there will be what is called the trumpet judgments. That will be released upon this earth, the trumpet judgments. And then when those are complete, you'd think, surely this is enough. But it won't be enough. Because Jesus is going to then take the bowls, and he's going to pour the bowls of judgment out upon the earth. And with every bowl that comes forth, it's going to be worse and worse and worse and worse until finally the, the tribulation is over let me just give you something to hope for after the tribulation Jesus is going to come down at the last battle of Armageddon and he's going to finish it on that battlefield I know he said at Calvary it's finished when he said it is finished at Calvary gives him the authority to come back when Armageddon takes place and he's going to come and guess who's going to be coming with him all of his people throughout history we're going to be coming back with him to help him judge this earth and when we're done we're all going to sit down to a good barbecue meal the marriage supper of the lamb I don't know if they're going to have ham hocks or what they're going to have but let me tell you something if God arranges it if Jesus arranges it I'm going to tell you it's going to be good When he takes, at the end of tribulation, the beast, puts him to the bottomless pit, into the pit, we're going to have a millennium time that I'll talk about some next week 
a thousand years that we will live together with Him on this earth. And we will enjoy blessings like we've never enjoyed before. But now back to the tribulation. Who is worthy to open the scroll? Well, what are they talking about? The scroll that can, is contained in heaven that has to be opened in order to begin the process of the pouring out of the judgments of God. Someone there asked, who is worthy? Is there not anyone who is worthy to open the scroll? You know, when we think about it now, because we have Scripture, we know who's worthy. We've been singing about it for years. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. <clears throat> but what's that going to look like? Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within, and the back sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy <coughs> to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Ooh, I like that, don't you? Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures. And among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Have you ever prayed before? You're going to have a part in what Jesus is doing. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, and all nations. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign upon the earth. Then I looked. I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, wisdom and might, honor and glory and blessing." And I heard every creature in heaven. Are you going to be one of those? 
every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And I like this. It says the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. I don't know when's the last time that you really felt like worshiping, but let me tell you, now would be a good time to get started. Because the Lord is going to be the victor. He is the victor. But I'm telling you, when all of this tribulation stuff is over, and we'll finish it up next week, Jesus is going to mete out the judgment upon this earth. But when it's over, we're going to be declaring once and for all, He is worthy to receive our praise and our glory and the honor for all the things He has done. I want you to stand and I want you to take a few moments and just worship with the choir as they sing this song of worship today. Go ahead, Justin. Let's sing together. Oh. 